glory of your name. Deliver us and atone for our sins for your name's sake. Tonight, uh, we will begin a a three-part series under the theme of sacrifice. Uh, And tonight's lesson is on the sacrificial system. The uh, second one, I believe the title we agreed to uh, was Sacrifice of Christ, and the third one will be the living sacrifice. So tonight will be the first of three. The idea of sacrifice lies at the foundation of religion. And this this is very conclusive proof that religion itself is of divine origin. For no man could have ever originated the idea of sacrifice. And that was a quote from Alexander Campbell. And the idea here is that sacrifice is something that man would never devise because you would be giving up your own property. When we think about sacrifice, primarily in my mind, you're talking about two things. When you talk about sacrifice or offerings, you're thinking about those things that you give as an offering of thanksgiving to God. The other primary purpose is that of atonement or forgiveness. So sacrifice primarily has two purposes. One, an offering of thanksgiving, and that the second is that of forgiveness. The question is often asked then, why could God not, being God, an all-powerful being, simply ignore, overlook, or even disregard sin? Why would a sacrifice be required? Could a God who is holy and just simply allow a sinner to be set free from guilt? God would neither be good nor just to simply ignore sin. So therefore, a price has to be paid. When we answer the question, we ask the question about why God cannot simply ignore sin. In my mind, it comes down to the nature of God. And when we think about the nature of God, in my mind and in my study, I have narrowed that down to three. Now, this is not conclusive by any stretch, right? But in my mind, when you think about the nature of God, who the God is, God is spirit. God is love. God is light. In my mind, those represent the true nature of God. And everything else that we describe to God, we're really talking about the attributes of of God, those things that describe His nature in some form or manner. So when we say that God is present, that is an attribute that describes the nature of God, that God is spirit. When we say that God is merciful, we're describing that attribute that says God is love. When you say God is light, we say God is holy. We say God is righteous. That blue didn't show up at all, did it? All right. Next, we'll make the note for that next time. Um, God is light. What does that mean? That means there is no 
darkness in him whatsoever. He is holy. He is pure. God is just. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Mercy and truth go before your face. Psalms 89.14 This is describing God. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. To answer these questions, then, we need to look back at the idea of sin. What is sin? Sin has many descriptions. There's many words, within, particularly within the New Testament, that describe sin and its various aspects. For example, harmitia, to miss the mark. It's the idea of an archer who's aiming at a target and he misses what he's aimed at. Another idea is diminishing what should have been giving full measure. You didn't give full credit to what it was due. Falling when one should have stood. This, this one is actually an, an unintentional slip. There are times in your life when you will unintentionally slip, fall, stagger, sway from the course which you know is before you. It is still sin. Ignorance when one should have known. To refuse to hear and to hear, heed God's word. Parabasis, to intentionally cross the line. Intentionally means you knew the truth, you knew the line, and you chose to cross it anyway. It is therefore sin. Anomia, or paranomia, lawlessness, or the, those who would treat the law as an outlaw, one who wants to be outside the law. Lawlessness is therefore sinfulness, one who willingly breaks the written rules, one who chooses to step outside the law. And finally, plano, to lead or to be led astray. Now this has two offerings. One is to be led away by those who are sinning. The other is to be the one who is leading. In either case, it is sinful. In every case, when you think about sin, ultimately all sin is against God. It is against the sovereignty of God. You're saying God does not have the right to rule in my life, ultimately, when we choose to sin. Sin has a cost. It has a penalty. For the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin, what you earn when you sin rightfully, is death. So the wages of sin is death. Romans 6, verse 23. Sin has a cost. To commit a sin, essentially, is a death sentence. Sin is not free. I've heard sin described as a ride on a roller coaster. It's expensive and the thrill is short. Right? It has a high cost and it's a short thrill. To be set free from the death sentence, a life must be given in its place. Hence, a sacrifice. To be set free from the death sentence, a life must be given in its place, and specifically, a blood sacrifice. Leviticus 17.11. That's hard to read. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement 
for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. Now notice this is God. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I, this is God, I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. Leviticus 17.11 Life is in the blood. So therefore, when there is a death sentence, it takes a life to save life. It takes a life to atone for sin. It takes the blood of an animal to cover, to atone for, to pay for that penalty of sin. A sacrifice, a blood sacrifice, sin must be judged, and God reckons that judgment on the sacrifice for the sinner, and He accepts the death of the sacrifice as a ransom, or another word, propitiation, satisfactory payment for the sin. Since the life of the sinner is demanded as the price for sin, then a life must be offered up in the place of the sinner in order to pay the price. The life, the blood of the animal, is poured out on the altar as a covering for sin. The point of the sacrifice is to remove the judgment of sin and to provide atonement. God designed the sacrificial offerings as a means to provide atonement for sin and to enable mankind to worship Him, as well as a way to demonstrate their thanksgiving to God. God's design here with sacrifice is to provide a means by which mankind can be in and continue to be in a relationship with Him. Sacrifice has existed almost from the beginning. In fact, if you would, go to Genesis chapter 3. And in Genesis chapter, once you're there, Genesis chapter 4, we have an introduction to the first offering that is made by mankind. Now Adam, now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have required a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, and this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was the keeper of the sheep, and Cain was the tiller of the ground. And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord, and Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord accepted Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. So as you can see from the very beginning, Offerings and sacrifices have been a part of God's plan for mankind. They have been in place so that man can maintain a relationship with God. And one of the interesting things for you to maybe consider, if you go back to Genesis chapter 3, go to verse 20. And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord made tunics of skin and clothed them. Now this is post their sin, right? They're in the garden. They hid from God. God said, why are you hiding? They said, we are naked. How do you know you're naked? God, I might propose to you, actually made the first sacrifice. He provided them 
clothes to cover them. God is the first to take life, to provide covering for his children. It's an interesting idea. God has always had a plan, and that plan has been the result of God's love for mankind. Once again, the primary purpose is thanksgiving. When you feel that inalienable desire to offer a sacrifice or an offering to God because you know how much He has given to you, how blessed you are, we do that on a weekly basis, do we not? We give a free will offering based upon how we have received back to God. Forgiveness is the other purpose. Forgiveness, atonement, reconciliation are all interconnected and inter- interdependent upon each other as part of that circle of a relationship and a reconciliation between us and God. They all are required to be together. God love, God's love resulted in a plan. It has been God's plan all along to provide a means of restoration of a relationship. Now this is important. If you get nothing else, follow me for the next few minutes. The whole point of the sacrificial system was to provide a means by which man could restore the relationship between himself and God. Forgiveness has been, has always been about the restoration of a relationship. Isaiah 59.2, your iniquities have separated you from your God. It is your sin that separated you from God. And therefore, there had to be a means to restore that relationship. And that means was a sacrifice. That means was the lifeblood of another animal to cover, to atone, to pay the penalty for your sin, to restore, to make a means to restore that relationship between you and God. Forgiveness is most often presented as an emotional appeal that you cannot hold anger or resentment in your heart toward another individual. You must, you just have to let it go. Forgive them. Have a forgiving spirit and you will feel better. Most times, forgiveness is presented to us as an emotional appeal. You just have to let it go. Many times, the the answer to the question, what does it mean to forgive, is something like this. Forgiveness means to be kind when wrong. Forgiveness means I do not behave offensively. Forgiveness means I do not think evil thoughts. Forgiveness means I endure things. Forgiveness means I do not hold grudges. Forgiveness means I do not retaliate when wrong. My question to you, are these examples of forgiveness? Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Now I have to break out the glasses. 
Now look at these. And listen to this. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass and a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mystery and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not pray itself, is not puffed up does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Brothers and sisters, most of what you've been told of forgiveness is love. Love is the, is the Christian responsibility that you have regardless of what somebody else does or does not do. The reason you cannot forgive someone who is unrepentant is because that person has no desire to restore the relationship. Forgiveness is about restoration of a relationship It is not love. Love is something you must exercise every day, regardless of whether they ask to be repented of or they choose, they want you to forgive them or not. These are the things you do no matter what. Forgiveness is about the restoration. You cannot forgive someone who will not repent because they do not want to restore the relationship they destroyed. It does not mean you do not have a responsibility to love them. Question for you. Will God forgive you if you will not repent? The answer is no. Are you greater than God? No. We need to practice love regardless of what the other individual does. But understand, forgiveness has its own burden. Because the point of forgiveness is to restore a relationship, and therefore when someone comes to you and says, I repent, you now have a true burden to forgive. And to forgive means to treat that person as much as possible as if that offense had never happened. That can be a true burden. That can be a weight that can take time. Forgiveness is much harder than we think it is. Forgiveness, atonement, reconciliation has always been part of God's plan. That plan has always required a sacrifice, particularly a blood sacrifice, to atone for that sin so that you can be reconciled to God. The Levitical sacrificial system. Leviticus deals with the people who are God's people and how to maintain that relationship with God. The main theme is how sinful man can approach a holy God and worship the Almighty. These sacrifices answer that question. 
the burnt offering, the grain offering, the peace offering, the sin offering, the trespass offering. These are not all of the offerings, but these are a snapshot of what was involved in maintaining that relationship between God's people and himself. The burnt offering was required and was the most common of the, uh, and important sacrifice. It expressed the individual's complete consecration to God. They were committing themselves to God, and it was an atonement sacrifice to forgive them for the sins they had committed. The grain or the meal offering, offering of worship symbolizing the sacrifice and the commitment of oneself and one's work, to God. You are committing yourself and your work to God in this sacrifice. One could only offer the grain sacrifice or the thanksgiving after atoning for his sins. So therefore there is an order that must be maintained. You cannot offer a thanksgiving sacrifice or offering to God until you first had made an atonement sacrifice to cleanse your sins. You must be holy when you approach God. Peace offering was an optional offering that could be presented whenever and as frequently as the offer desired. The offering represented the fellowship between God and the Israelite that resulted from that relationship that God had established. And finally, the sin offering. It was a mandatory atonement for specific unintentional sin. There was no sacrifice for intentional sin. When you intentionally violated the Word of God under the, under the old system, there was no sacrifice for you. The only hope you had was at the Yom Kippur, when they would sacrifice for the nation. All right. The trespass offering is very similar to the sin offering. The trespass offering seemed to be that to be that of the first was to made for sin against God. The second was against man or holy things. So the trespass offering, the offering was to bring a trespass offering if he overheard swearing and kept silent, if he touched any unclean thing, if he sinned ignorantly in the things of the Lord, if he lied to his neighbor, if he found and kept lost property and lied about it. These were, these were examples of things where he would make a trespass offering to God to restore his relationship. Finally, the Day of Atonement is not a specific offering, but it is part of the greater system. This is known as Yom Kippur and was the most solemn and holy day in all of Israel. It occurred on the, once a year on the tenth day of the seventh month. What I want you to think about as we go through this very quickly is think type and anti-type. This is the type. Think about the anti-type, which is Christ. Specifically, think about Christ as he is your high priest. The high priest would begin to prepare for the Day of Atonement seven days before its occurrence and would take up in a residence within the temple. The morning service of the, of the Day of Atonement, the high priest alone, meaning all the other priests would no longer officiate in the service of the temple that day. He did all of the service in that day. The high priest alone officiated with the first dawn of morning. The high priest bathed and put on his usual priestly garments. And I want, what I want you to notice is the 
what he put on was the full hooray. Everything, the gold, the bells, the hat, everything. He would put all of this on to begin the service for that day. Once the, once the service would begin, though, the high priest began this particular part of the day service. He washed his hands, feet, put off his golden garments, and took a bath and changed into a simple white linen robe. This is how he would approach God. Not in full array of gold and splendor, but in simple white robe. The first part would be the sin offering. And this is where he would bring, the, the priest would bring a bull before the, before the altar. He would lay his hands upon it and confess his and his family's sins upon this animal. He did not kill it yet. He would simply place his hands upon it and confess his sins for, his, for, this, for, his, for himself. Next, you would, if you could imagine, you would have the two goats, and they would be identical, without blemish, and they would cast lots, and one lot would be for the sin offering, the offering made to God on behalf of the nation. The other would be the scapegoat. The third part, the high priest once again would lay his hands on the, on the head of the bull, that he made confession over the bullock, and this time for himself, his family, and also for the priesthood. The young bull was then slaughtered, its blood was collected, the high priest filled a golden censer with coals and a golden ladle with incense. And this is the first time he would enter in the most holy of place. Now he has, he has killed the sacrifice, he has collected the blood, he has the blood in a bowl, he approaches the most holy place, he has a censer, much like our offering plate, and a ladle full of, of incense specifically made for this purpose. He now enters into the most holy place and he places those, that incense upon that, on that coals and it fills the most holy place with, with smoke, essentially, with scent, and makes it a, a, a place present or possible for God to enter. The idea here is that the full glory of God, man could not be exposed to the full glory of God. Therefore, the incense was to create a space a, to prepare a place for God to enter and man could be in at the same time. Otherwise, he could not be there or he would simply die based upon the glory of God. The high priest. Once inside the most holy place, the veil was folded back. The high priest stood alone, separated from the people outside. He now carefully put the incense into his hand and threw it on the coals of the censer. He waited until the smoke filled the most holy place, creating a cloud of incense in the holy of holies, covering the mercy seat to veil the glory of God. Now, the priest enters back out of the most holy place, picks up the blood from the bull for himself and for, the, for his family and for the priesthood and enters back into the most holy place and makes the offering for himself to cleanse himself, his family, and the priesthood as a whole. And he sprinkles the blood within the most holy place and upon the veil. So now if you imagine your, your antitype, he, before he could make a sacrifice for the people, he himself must have had a sacrifice made for him. He had to cleanse himself 
before he could be the officiator to offer the sacrifice for the people. Next, they would go back out and the goat or the sin sacrifice for the people was slaughtered. The high priest then entered the most holy place the third time, sprinkled as before, once upward, seven times downward, to make atonement for the people. So he had to cleanse himself, and then he had to, then once he was prepared, he could make an offering for the nation of Israel. Once he had done that, he would enter back out, he would exit the most holy place, he would lay his hands upon the head of the goat and confess the sins of the nation, and they would lead the scapegoat away. This, in my mind, was a visual representation for the people to see that their sins had been forgiven and that their sins were being taken away from them. Then the carcasses of the two animals that had been sacrificed were taken outside the city and burned. Where was Christ sacrificed? Outside the city. Hebrews 9.11, let's just turn there. That's hard to read. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11. But Christ came as high priest of good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood. He entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled the unclean, sanctifies for the purity of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, Cleanse your conscience from dead works and serve the living God. John 1, verse 29. And the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Christ is not only our sin sacrifice, you need to see him also as our high priest and as our king, as our Lord. As our high priest, he entered into the most holy place, heaven itself, and offered his own blood for us. He went in as the only person who could. It has often been said, well, if man could live a perfect life, he could have sacrificed for, for mankind. That is simply not true. No man, first of all, no man can live a perfect life. And even if he could, he cannot enter into heaven as our high priest to make the sacrifice for us. If Christ had only died, you would still be in your sins. Because it required taking that blood into heaven and presenting it to God himself in heaven to complete the process. The same process we see in Yom Kippur. So for yourself, 
Have you allowed sin to enter into your life? Whether it's going astray, missing the mark, leading others off, being led off. If you've allowed sin back into your life, you need to deal with that. You need to deal with it today. God has provided a way for you to restore and to maintain a relationship between you and Him. But ultimately, it is up to you to do so. The path may be narrow, but it is present. And it is your choice to stay on the path. And if you have chosen to get off for whatever reason, I beg you, return. Return to God. Restore and maintain the relationship that God has made available to you between Him and you. If you have never accepted Christ as your Savior, there is a free gift that is waiting for you, and that is eternal life, if you will accept Him as your Lord and Savior. If there's anyone who has need tonight, please come forward as we stand and sing.